This forum is part of the City Club's Health Equity Series, sponsored by the St. Luke's Foundation and the Sisters of Charity Foundation. We are grateful for their generous support. Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Rick Jackson, senior host and producer here at IdeaStream. It's April 29th and you've joined the virtual City Club Forum. For more years than we'd like to admit, researchers, experts, and journalists have raised alarm bells about the rising numbers of Northeast Ohio's children presenting with elevated blood levels and with lead poisoning. One study even found the rates of lead poisoning in Ohio rivaled those of Flint, Michigan. The region's industrial past and our aging buildings, the housing stock laden with lead paint, often cited as culprits. But there is a concerted effort underway to prevent lead poisoning and to curb the poisoning to prison path of school struggles, juvenile crime, adult incarceration, and homelessness that many young people poisoned by lead do face. Launched in January of 2019, the Lead Safe Cleveland Coalition is comprised of 450 members, 120 organizations, state and local governments, and families impacted by lead, all working together to address the issue of lead poisoning. Today, we'll talk with four coalition members about the work that they've been doing to ensure no child is poisoned by lead, efforts including the passage of groundbreaking law to proactively require rental units be lead safe certified in the city of Cleveland. There's also the establishment of a lead safe home fund, a first of its kind public private fund to help families and landlords comply with the new lead safe certification requirement. With me virtually today, Marcia Egbert is here. She is with the uh, Gunn Foundation, Program Director for Thriving Families and Social Justice there. Kim Foreman is here, the Executive Director of Environmental Health Watch. Lane Griffin, the City of Cleveland Councilman for Ward 6. And Mark McDermott, the Vice President and Market Leader at Enterprise Community Partners Incorporated. As in every City Club Forum, you can participate with your questions. Text those to 330-541-5794. That's on your screen, 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club, and we'll try and work those in. With that, let's open with a few brief remarks, brief remarks panelists from each of them. Councilman Griffin, let's start with you. Uh, I will tell you that I'm really honored to be here and really proud of this historical moment where we're now in the process of trying to operationalize what we believe is one of the most historic pieces of legislation um, that we've seen in the city of Cleveland. So I'm really proud to be here today, especially with my colleagues. There's been a lot of work. A lot of people have been working on this for several years. Um, I'm just fortunate to be part of the team to really uh, make it happen and move it forward. Thank you, Marsha Egbert. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much for um, allowing me to be with you today. Um, I have to say that, you know, the world's got a lot of problems, but there aren't necessarily many times when you both have a very clear handle on the scale and scope of a problem and the scale and scope of a solution. And this is one of those moments where problem can meet solution in our community to be an absolutely national model. And I'm, I'm grateful and privileged to work with the team that you've got here today and our other colleagues, and most importantly, to learn from the families directly impacted who are a part of the coalition. So this is a moment that we need to seize, and we're working to make sure we have all of the resources to do that. From Enterprise Community Partners, Mark McDermott. Thanks, Rick. Um, so I work for a, a nonprofit that works with affordable housing um, and having housing be a, a stepping stone to opportunity across the country. Um, 
And I can tell you that what's being done here in Cleveland uh, for with this Lead Safe Cleveland Coalition to the benefit of both uh, families uh, and especially low-income families and black and brown families and also communities uh, in our city is literally unprecedented uh, across the United States of America. Um, and it's uh, really exciting. We could be really proud of it and we're excited to talk about it today. Thank you. And from Environmental Health Watch, Kimberly Foreman. Hello, thank you. I'm honored to be here today and been working on this issue around healthy homes and live for 20 years. And this has been the most collaborative process I've been a part of and also um, giving us the opportunity to bring in impacted community members into workforce, into the resource center to take a part and be a part of the solution. And we really want to focus on what feels different what looks different and experience of individuals uh, participate in the solution and, and taking part in this. So I look forward to the discussion today and I'm happy to be here. Thank you all. So the question is, how did we get where we are and where do we head next? That's a large part of our conversation today. Again, you're invited to join in the text the number 330-541-5794. And Kim, I'm gonna start with you. You've been a proponent of the charge that while the root of the lead poisoning problem was the housing, Cleveland was instead for many, many years focusing on testing kids for lead poisoning. Tell me how we now believe we're in a better place for protecting them from illnesses because of the Lead Safe Cleveland Coalition. So this strategy is comprehensive when we understand that just law alone can't solve the problem. There's no one entity that has to be responsible for this um, system in the proactive approach we have. So I think that we are moving from a blaming uh, conversation to a collaborative all hands on deck conversation and also putting the resources and operations um, to that approach. So we are walking the walk. The city is involved, the funders are involved, the community is involved in other nonprofits because we all touch it in some way and it impacts the whole community. So I think that um, working together, um, building, um, breaking down silos is very important and also understanding how all these systems have to function and work so that we can be better partners. Marsha, you served on the governor's lead advisory committee and the report released earlier this year highlighted 21 recommendations to treat and to prevent lead poisoning. What's happened since? Are Ohio legislators, and I'm talking all sized governments here, acting on your suggestions? We actually couldn't be more excited about the response that we're getting um, in Columbus in particular. So you mentioned the governor's task force and recommendations. The vast majority of those recommendations saw the light of day in the governor's introduced budget for the state of Ohio for the next two years. Now, with any budget process, it goes over to the legislature, and there's always good give and take and lots of debate. But thrilled to say that the budget has now gone through that process with the Ohio House of Representatives and really significant investments around lead both direct funding and a helpful policy environment at the state level has remained intact. So now we move on to the Ohio Senate and we'll be advocating along with the Ohio Lead Free Kids Coalition and so many other organizations that wanna keep sending this message to our policymakers in Columbus that this is a problem with a solution. And so far they've really been receptive. Good news, thank you. 
Lane Griffin, some portions of the new city of Cleveland law that we referenced didn't go into effect until this year. For instance, requiring landlords pay for private inspections, securing lead safe certificates for occupied units. We opened that line of work uh, during March. Are we on track? Yes, we're actually on track very much so. Uh, we actually gave ourselves an 18-month ramp-up period because many of the landlords and realtors that sat on our committee uh, really said they need some time because we're looking at putting new systems in place, new programs, new products. Uh, so we needed you know, to hire new people at building and housing. I also want to make sure I commend Director Ayana Blue Donald, who's been a champion through this entire process. We are now in implementation phase. And I will tell you right now, we have about 68 people in the first two zip codes uh, that did respond. Um, you know, that's not high. We have about a thousand people that we anticipate that should be uh, certified. So now we're sending out notices and making sure that we work closely with uh, our partners to knock on doors to really remind people. We really want to carry it in the stick approach. We don't want to punish landlords and we really been trying to work with them. That's why we took our time in putting this together, took our time in implementing this and now taking our time before we start punishing people. But we are going to make it clear uh, we're doing business different in the city of Cleveland. And there's always a quote I listen to by Victor Hugo that says, nothing is more powerful than an idea uh, whose time has come. And right now it's come time to deal with lead in our community. I know that enforcement of the law, Blaine, is based on the rental registry and that shrunk because of the pandemic uh, almost by a third. What's the strategy for enforcing the law along with offering those incentives? Well, actually, right now, we are going to continue to send out reminder notices. We like once again, we don't want to, you know, bring out the stick too quick. Uh, but eventually, if people do not comply, uh, then the building and housing department will be issuing uh, criminal tickets. And that's something that they will have to go to housing court because we're serious about this happening. So, um, you know, even though we're going to be very, very helpful and trying to find every way that we can be helpful, we are going to be working with building and housing to make sure that we enforce this because we do mean business. Thank you. Mark, one key to the improvement we've seen is the public-private nature of the newest action. City can't work in a vacuum, obviously. Talk about the difference that corporate foundation and private involvement makes there. Yeah, it's actually been <clears throat> pretty exciting and pretty phenomenal. Uh, this this effort started as a partnership between uh, the philanthropic community, uh, city council, and the mayor's administration. I mean, that, that's where it started in terms of that partnership. Um, and it's now included uh, significant corporate involvement. Uh, United Way uh, is, is at the table. Um, we have uh, both the city, the county, and the state uh, at the table in terms of uh, funding. Uh, and, it's, and, and we're ready with resources for landlords. We have resources to help pay for uh, those inspections that you mentioned, Rick. We have resources, uh, both in terms of grants and loans, to help pay for improvements that might be needed to the properties in order to make them lead safe. And, and, and I'm sorry, let me add one thing to make sure that everybody's real clear on. This is a lead safe approach. It's much different than making a property lead free. Making a property lead free would cost an ordinately amount of money that, we, that the community could never afford. Right, lead safe approach makes it affordable, makes it feasible, makes it uh, viable for landlords, um, and we've been very successful in, in terms of raising funds for these kind of resources. Thank you.
Marshall, let's not avoid an elephant in the room here. This is something I was just going to ask. We've already got some questions coming in regarding this. Sherwin William, the name comes up frequently as a paint maker. They received about a $13 million grant from the city, a $70 million loan from the state for their new public square headquarters. The company, though, is part of the Lead Safe Cleveland Coalition, but we haven't seen them commit a lot of money to remediation despite record sales years. To residents, that's a perception that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I appreciate the, the question very much, Rick. And so just to be 100% clear, we are absolutely soliciting Sherwin-Williams um, for a significant investment into the Lead Safe Cleveland Coalition and the Lead Safe Home Fund directly. We think it's an incredible opportunity, certainly for Sherwin-Williams, but also for the broader corporate community as well. As, as Kim said at the top of the uh, uh, hour. This isn't going to be solved by one entity. We've got to do our part equally. And Sherwin-Williams is absolutely at the top of that list. Um, and so we are in direct communication and engagement with them. And we expect to have good news about that. That's certainly the expectation that we have out of all of the players that were um, approaching for funds. So we look forward to more conversation, but we, we also really do expect that there will be action in that direction. Is there a time frame? Well, fair question. I mean, the time frame, as, as the councilman said, we had the 18-month time frame. We've actually, um, you know, we're raising funds at a pace that is tremendous. We have a five-year budget for the uh, Let's Safe Home Fund overall, um, and we are a little less than halfway to that budget, but we're trying to raise as much as we possibly can in the near term rather than the far term so that we can really set up as robust a system as possible and know what resources we have to, to share with the community. Thank you. Mark, Ohio, <clears throat> excuse me, Ohio is ranked number two in the nation in the number of lead water lines still in use. With Illinois, we have half the nation's lead pipes. You're the housing guy on the panel force. How and what need we do to remove proven dangerous delivery systems of our water into our aged housing stock? And where's the remediation cash for that to come from? Well, let's, let, let's be clear about, uh, I'm a Cleveland resident, right? I've been a Cleveland resident for 40 years, raised my kids here. Let's be clear about the quality of uh, water that the city of uh, Cleveland delivers, right? Through the water department. And it is, uh, absolutely consistently across the board, always safe drinking water. Um, the problem comes if a problem exists in terms of that connection between the street and the house. Um, there's in fact money and, and that's a connect and that's a, that's a connection that it often is fine and sometimes is problematic. Um, there's money in the infrastructure bill. Let's celebrate uh, out of, uh, out of uh, President Biden's infrastructure bill that hopefully we'll get through Congress that will help us deal with that issue. Um, right now, we're focused on where we know lead poisoning is coming from for children. Mm -hmm. And that's from the results of lead paint, uh, lead dust, lead in the soil, um, where we know we can treat it and we can treat it uh, economically uh, at this point. And, uh, and as, as we expand our, our uh, kind of solutions here, we'll do that. Um, but but we're, we're addressing what we know to be the problem right now uh, in uh, tens of thousands of homes across the city. Thank you. In 2019, more than 3,500 Ohio children had elevated blood levels, including more than 20 kids with EVLs greater than 45 micrograms per deciliter. That's a level that requires immediate medical intervention. Tim Foreman, do you shudder every time that comes up? Because we know the numbers can only realistically be larger, not smaller. 
Yes, and um, we do have a committee focused on screening and testing. So we should expect that as more children get tested, the numbers may spike up, but at the same time, we have this prevention effort. We've been promoting prevention. There's things that we can do that are feasible to prevent, even if you live in an older home. And so we really, really need to focus on prevention, making in the systems level work, right, that we're doing, right? We're not uh, canary in a coal mine. We're not just looking at programmatic um, ideas and solutions. We're really focused on root cause and systems change so that every family has an uh, opportunity to live in a, in a healthy home, in a lead safe home. So while we're doing this work, we expect that those EBL numbers will decrease just like they did in Rochester. We have models across the country that have been successfully in, um, implementing this type of approach. Rochester reduced their levels by 85%. So as we evaluate the approach and look at our numbers, we expect our numbers to go down and we expect the homes to be increasingly healthier and safer for families. Thanks. Kim, I know you're familiar with the state's operating budget. It included $10 million over the biennium for the state children's health insurance program to fund lead assessments, lead remediation, advertise lead safe housing for families. Talk to me about allocating resources. We still don't have near enough to do everything, of course, but we aren't destitute. How should we best spend the funds we do have on hand? I think everything we're doing is based on data, right? So we have a data-rich community that we can use to understand the best approaches, where to spend the dollars, where to target resources, right? And be very intentional about it. So as resources come in to address hazards, we can address them on different levels, depending on the dollars and the money. So we could do more in some homes. Some of those dollars are allocated to replace windows while the work we're doing is to focus on interim controls and those lead safe um, approaches so that we can function we can continue to make the home safe while we are, we do have other resources. And at the resource center, we are committed to making sure people get to the correct resources, whatever it fits for them in their situation. So we wanna make sure that we understand the, the universe of resources, but also know what we can directly impact and, and how we can serve people right now. Marsha, weigh in for me here. How do we best spend the money we have? Well, the, I mean, to, just to build off of what Kim said, you know, we are moving an entire system from an after the fact um, type of system to a prevention system. So, you know, the, the existing system has used children as lead detectors. Nobody, you know, can conceive of that being the best that we could do. And so, you know, we're saying we can't wait um, for the testing and screening to rise up to 100% of uh, children that we'd want to test and screen. Instead, we've got to move the entire universe um, to known lead safe practices that we've outlined um, and turn this into an operation where we prevent another child from being poisoned. We don't try and remediate after the fact because it's a, it's a brutally painful fact that lead poisoning is not reversible. So it has to be lead prevention. And thankfully, we know the precise kinds of interventions and those interventions are being stood up through the Lead Safe Resource Center and the Lead Safe Home Fund, whether it's cleaning tools, inspection tools, it's loans, it's grants, and there's a whole range of things that this effort is making available that allow us to 
prevent the problem before it ever reaches a child's brain and life. Blaine, do we know how much of that 10 million comes to the city of Cleveland yet? Well, you know, I would tell you, first of all, the city of Cleveland put $5 million towards the actual resource fund. We also has leveraged other dollars to focus on targeted areas like HUD has put forth about $10.9 million to focus at the uh, Glenville neighborhood. So there's been other resources that have come in outside of the lead safe fund that has really been able to help us uh, mitigate the problem as well. So, yes, um, you know, we've been working closely on making sure that a lot of that $10 million and that money goes to the targeted areas that it needs to go to. But Rick, I want to make sure that you also understand that it's just two goals of this. One is one is to protect children. And then the other is to provide uh, stable housing. So you mentioned some of our corporate partners. Um, this is as much as about housing stabilization in the city of Cleveland as it is anything else. Try to make sure that we have safe, affordable, um, healthy housing for children in the city of Cleveland. Mark, talk to me about allocation implementation. Uh, what happens to the money once it is here and projects are targeted? What do you think is the best way to spend it? So, so uh, our our goal of, as Marsha mentioned, of ninety nine million over five years, includes forty million in grants for landlords and forty million in loans for landlords. Um, the, the, those resources are open for business over at CHN Housing Partners, um, and. Uh, uh, and so landlords can right now access um, the funding that they need, but that's what we've prioritized um, is uh, are those resources for landlords uh, and that's the best use of the funds. We have a we have a, a, a two great nonprofit partners in Environmental Health Watch with Kim on the on the phone here and and with CHN Housing Partners that are making this work, you know, on the street day to day. Um, but that's that's how we're prioritizing the funds. Okay, Kim Foreman. Now that the Lead Safe Resource Center is up and running, how are the efforts going to train lead safe workers? Right. We prioritize workers, right? We prioritize the workforce as well as providing um, these resources for landlords who want to do their own work. So we provide RRP, which is renovation, repair and painting certifications. Anyone who works on a house built before 19... 78 is actually federally mandated that they had a certification. So those are free here. We also have an opportunity for people who have no experience um, to become clearance techs so they can clear the properties after. So we've um, trained over 200 individuals um, and continue to work through June and then ramp up where we need to based on demand. So we have certified individuals, um, um, contractors, as well as landlords and clearance tech professionals. And we have a list that's publicly available off of the um, Let's Safe Cleveland website. So a lot of the resources have been spent on that workforce. And so that's important to build the capacity on the ground. But our workforce uh, component also includes hands-on, a week of hands-on field training so that the contractors are ready to address landlords or homeowners who call them. So we're also um, providing supportive services for our workforce so that they can build their businesses, scale their businesses, and, and um, become better professionals um, in the field. That 200 you mentioned, is that a maximum or can we scale up if there is demand so we don't have a long waiting list of people needing to go three, four, five years to get their work done? We are actively making adjustments, adding classes and responding to need, responding to community need. We want to make sure that we have contractors 
of all different capacities getting a chance to be a part of this, as well as folks in the community that have that want to participate. So we want to open the doors for that, but we also want to monitor the workforce and make sure they're working, make sure they're getting calls. So we're making adjustments, evaluating regularly, and then we'll adjust based on demand. But we are here to serve and create that workforce that's needed and give opportunities to community. specifically related to the pandemic? Are they worried about having inspectors in their houses or the workers in their houses or work being completed timely because of what we're facing? No, we, we are operating. Uh, the classes are full and sold out. Uh, folks are getting their certifications, getting the work done, whether they're hiring someone or doing it themselves. Um, we also have a tenant landlord liaison to help the um, the landlords facilitate this process as well as answer any concerns of the contractors. So we haven't had that problem. They're actively out there getting calls and they're getting work done. Okay. Mark McDermott, what do you hear from landlords? Uh, you know, it's great. We have a, uh, we've had landlords involved in this process since the beginning. Uh, I'll, I'll say three things, Rick. One is that, uh, in the development of the legislation, and I'll give Councilman Griffin a, a good amount of credit uh, when he was the chair of the HHS committee, um, that was an incredibly inclusive process um, to help come up with the recommendations for that legislation. I, I've never seen anything like it with city council, uh, to, to be honest. The coalition helped develop the recommendations, which essentially formed the legislation. Um, uh, so, and landlords were uh, very involved in that in that process in, in helping develop the legislation. Um, secondly, we have landlords involved uh, in the key uh, committees um, that are actually overseeing the implementation of the program, right? And, and not just a committee where you sit and you sort of talk a lot and nothing happens, but the LEDSAFE Action Board, which is uh, set up by the legislation to oversee the program, to monitor uh, how it's going, to report back to the community and to uh, city council and the mayor once a year has two landlords on it, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, and so it's built into the system. And thirdly, Rick, um, we um, uh, are uh, through CHN Housing Partners and through Environmental Health Watch are doing outreach to landlords on a regular basis. It, look, be real, it's not easy, right? Some landlords will handle this just fine. Right. For some landlords, this is going to be a challenge. Right. We, we realize that. And especially for lower income mom and pop landlords, it, it could well be a challenge. That's why we've set up these resources that we've set up uh, that Kim has talked about and the financial resources that I reference that are over at CHN Housing Partners. Um, it, we, we knew from the beginning that we needed resources to support landlords um, and they're there. Right. And we're pretty confident that the, that um, any landlord who needs resources to make their property lead safe, those resources are there, they're equitable, they're available, easy to use, and will help them make a difference. Councilman, go ahead and jump in here. Well, I mean, as, as uh, Mark said, and I'll, I'll pay him for the compliment later, I'm just the guy that 
learned how to sit next to the smart kids in class, you know? So as I said earlier, a lot of people have been in the trenches and working on this for a long time. I just felt it was my job to really try to provide the leadership and pull all of the different folks together. Um, I reached out to Sharon Williams and said, hey, would you guys be a part of this? I reached out to others that really want to be a part of it. Um, even people who folks wanted to try to make it seem like it was antagonistic um, because other organizations were trying to do petition drives and other things. I wanted them included in the process. Um, you know, but I will tell you that it's an inflection point for our community. And for those of us that practice leadership and equity, I just tell people, just like uh, with uh, Sharon Dola, Parks always says that when you practice leadership for equity, you must confront, disappoint, dismantle, and at the same time, energize, inspire, and empower. And that's what we're trying to do with this coalition. We're not trying to be punitive, but we are trying to confront an issue, but at the same time, inspire and really show our support for the landlords and show our support for the community so that we could have a bright future for our children. I asked others, but I didn't ask you, Blaine. Has the pandemic slowed progress or worsened? Has it taken away money that could have gone to remediation? What's been the 2020 impact on this program? The pandemic has not slowed the progress. And that's why I want to give Director Donald and Mayor Jackson credit because they've stayed the course. Um, ironically, we were more concerned because there were more ch more chances for children to get uh, exposed to lead exposure because they're not going to school now. So therefore, they're spending uh, and, and you know more time at home, which means that they can have the potential to be exposed to lead more. So we moved forward. Uh, the pandemic did not slow anybody down. There were some conversations and some thoughts that should we possibly postpone this. But uh, we made a conscious decision in council and in the mayor's office to keep moving it forward because of what Mark mentioned, the uh, actual clause in the legislation that gives us a year to review to see if we have any unintended consequences. Kim, what do you and Environmental Health Watch believe needs to be done next to reduce lead levels in Cleveland's kids? I think that everyone needs to be having awareness around lead and packs of lead. So we include outreach and education. We have an action team out in the community working on community building, working on talking to folks, getting the word out, being a face of the resource center, because it definitely takes more than just the website or the phone numbers, we have to actively engage folks and also make sure people really understand they have a right to live in a home that's healthy and understand what lead is. What is that from the basics? So we are including that. We're including lead one-on-one classes that'll be launched soon. We had a lead certification one-on-one so that'll be launched soon and get out into the neighborhoods and the community because we want to reach people that oftentimes don't come to your meetings or they might not have a bill to get on and log on to a form or um, log on to a virtual session. So we are really working on making sure that our team, that our team has been out since the winter through COVID, going to each and every community based on a rollout so that everyone understands what's going on, right? The landlords need to understand, the tenants need to understand, the parents need to understand, and those who really want to participate and become, um, join a coalition, we are encouraging that as well. So I think it's important that we think about all of these ways to engage people and talk about the issue, talk about the solution and, and create this building model and collaborative model and continue that. Thank you. We're gonna turn now to the questions coming in from the audience. We do have a lot of them coming through. To direct your questions to any of our speakers, text those, text those to 330 
3305715794. Also, you could tweet them at the City Club would be the handle there at the City Club. We'll try and work all of those in. Again, we are speaking with Marsha Egbert, Program Director for Thriving Families and Social Justice at the Gun Foundation. Tim Foreman, Executive Director of Environmental Health Watch. Blaine Griffin from the City of Cleveland Council. And Mark McDermott, VP and Market Leader at Enterprise Community Partners. Got a lot of questions here, guys. So let's, let's get ready to rock and roll here. Um, one, to start off, what resources are available for renters who are told to vacate properties due to lead hazards? Wanted to know if the coalition can help them find safe, affordable housing. Mark McDermott, I'll start with you. Mark, did you hear the question? Yeah, I did. Sorry, Rick. Um, I didn't hear you call my name, so I'm, I'm oh, here. Okay. I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so the uh, we have a, a group, uh, and again, it's a group that's making things happen, called the Lead Safe Action Board. Um, uh, and this group is actually, actually I met this morning, is coming up with solutions for renters who may be displaced and we're imagining that renters may be displaced temporarily, right? We're not. We're not imagining. We're not. We haven't seen in other cities where there was a permanent displacement, where somebody needed a totally different place to live. Um, so um, we've got some uh, kind of solutions in the pipeline. We're we're relying heavily, especially on what we've learned through. Um, uh, the Office of Homeless Services uh, for the city and the county, and some of the nonprofits that, in fact, help rapidly rehouse um, folks uh, into other units. Um, and so um, I, I, we're not ready to announce that yet, but uh, I think I would say in the next three months we'll be ready to say, hey, here are the resources. Here's where we. Here's where people might be able to, or will be able to uh, stay if they need to. Um, and here's the solution to that problem. So keep, keep keep an eye out for that. Thanks. Okay, we will do that. Thank you. Councilman, I'll give you this next one. Uh, listener wants to know, can you be more specific about the funding available to help landlords remedy lead hazards, pay for the necessary inspections, et cetera? You're looking for specificity. Sure. I mean, that's what we have the Lead Safe Home Fund for. And the specificity is that we work closely with the Cleveland Housing uh, Network, and we work closely with Environmental Health Watch. And there are micro loans and products that we have in place to help with certifications and also to help with uh, mitigating the uh, lead hazards. And we also have built up the workforce. In addition to that, let me just say this, when you wanna say specific, most of our products were tailored to mom and pop uh, landlords, people that actually live in one unit and then they actually have tenants in the next unit. So these are people that are not making a fortune. These are folks that have been here and have been uh, homeowners for a long time. And ironically, there's not a lot of products out there, but this, uh, but for this lead safe home fund, there wouldn't be many products out there for them to uh, mitigate some of the problems that they have in their home. So um, once again, work with Kim and her team work with Cleveland Housing Network, and uh, they have a plethora and a variety of products that they can walk you through to help you make your home lead safe. Thank you. Uh, Marsha, this question, I'm just going to throw it at you. Take a crack at it here. Uh, this program, they wanted to know if there's any way to help families who've already been directly impacted by lead poisoning. I don't know if there's any corporations out there that are doing work or if it's all coming from the public sector. 
Yeah, boy, do I wish that was a question that didn't have to be asked. Um, but the answer is yes, absolutely. Um, so while we're in the process of moving the system to prevention rather than intervention, in the meantime, we know that there are children that have already been um, profoundly impacted and families as well. And so um, our hospital systems have, um, you know, absolutely been involved in being able to provide care. There's some specific treatments that can be um, administered there. As I said before, they don't eliminate the, the poisoning, but they can mitigate the, the impact. We've now got resources. You mentioned that $10 million from the state of Ohio's Medicaid program. So if families that receive Medicaid benefits are able to access or to apply or be screened for um, availability of, of resources and interventions through that program. We've, um, we've just, we've got multiple, uh, we talked about the screening and testing um, intervention to be able to see, you know, if there's, you know, exactly what's happening with a child. So, you know, there are resources that exist. It's just that we, we, we can't work our way out of this problem by focusing exclusively on those children who have already been exposed and poisoned. To make a real difference, we have got to be able to move to the front end and prevent this in the first place. Thank you. We talked about some of the situations involving landlords, getting a lot of questions. I'll try and conflate a couple together here. People wondering, because the work seems to be geared toward landlords, what resources are available for homeowners or to help owner-occupied residents? Another question, majority of the funding means that homeowners are left to handle this alone. People are concerned about this. Mark McDermott, are they right to be concerned? Yeah, Rick, thanks. The resources that, if we haven't been clear, uh, apologize here, but uh, the resources that we have available um, for uh, these loans and grants that we've talked about are also available to homeowners um, as needed. And uh, apologize for not being clear on that. The legislation uh, has a requirement around rental property. And, and the reason that rental property is targeted is because um, that's where we know uh, the high, high, high majority of incidences of lead poisoning come from. Um, uh, so, so that's the legislation. But in terms of the money that we have available, in terms of the resources from uh, Environmental Health Watch over at the Resource Center that Kim's talked about, absolutely available for homeowners. Uh, and they should feel free to call into the number um, to get on the website um, and to look at how to access those resources. Thanks. Thanks. Um, we've handled two of them. We've handled those who own a lot of property and those who may just have one or two. The third group, of course, is tenants. Uh, question, can the panel comment on the importance of tenants getting legal help and the importance of the rent escrow process when faced with poor housing conditions, including lead paint? Um, Kimberly, let me start with you. Yeah, so uh, we um, actually brought in Tracy Washington that used to work for Cleveland Tenants Organization and called out tenant landlord liaison as a title because we understand that we have half of our community rents their properties and we want to make sure we include an understanding of tenant landlord law. Even in a certification one-on-one class, we include a portion around that so that everyone is aware of the tenants and landlords' rights, responsibility, and roles. Um, I call it a tenant-landlord liaison because we don't want this issue 
issue to displace folks, or we don't want folks reacting instead of responding. So we want to make sure that tenants can call Tracy, landlords can call Tracy, and she is a skilled, a skilled mediator, as well as making sure tenants are directed to the proper resources for them. And we have um, building our relationship with housing court as well um, through Tracy. So I encourage tenants to call uh, the hotline and Tracy Washington can address them as well. Councilman follow, Councilman, follow that for me. I know that your desk and probably every other council desk at City Hall gets these calls from tenants who are concerned. Absolutely. And that's why I'm so proud to be a part of this 133rd Cleveland City Council, because I believe we've done more around housing insecurity uh, than any council in recent history. In addition to this lead safe ordinance that we passed, we also passed a very important piece of legislation uh, called Right to Representation. Uh, I want to give credit to Council President Kelly and Councilman Tony Brancatelli, who really led the charge around that uh, to really try to make sure that tenants, when they go to housing court, uh, working with the United Way, have representation. In New York and other places, it's been shown uh, that tenants that go to court without representation oftentimes uh, get the short end of the stick. So we actually put resources in place and passed the law to really make sure that every tenant in uh, the city of Cleveland is represented when they go to housing court. So working on those landlord tenant issues and housing stability issues has been a priority of this council. And uh, we work closely with the bill, uh, with, uh, you know, the uh, environmental health watch and United way and others to really try to make sure we uh, beef that up. Lynn, I'm not coming after you, but we got a lot of passionate landlords who are texting me. One question they're posing is, how do we know that rental homes have high incidences of lead poisoning? Where's the data? How many children with lead poisoning live in rental homes? How many live in owner-occupied homes? Throwing a lot at you. All the numbers correlate, Rick, and I'm not afraid of that because I will tell you that the data has driven this process. If you look at the city of Cleveland, it's a crescent shape. And if you look at that crescent shape, you have infant mortality, high infant mortality. You have uh, high lead exposure. Twenty five percent of the children going to Cleveland public schools are transient and our children who have been exposed to lead. Uh, you have reports done by Case Western Reserve. You have uh, so much data that backs this up. Crime, violent crime, uh, all is a crescent shape that ironically are in areas that have been redlined or areas that have, are, are predominantly on the east side and near west side and are areas that have a large amount of rental properties. The data shows what we're doing is the right thing. And the data also shows that we can fix this health, public health crisis with a housing solution. So I really, um, you know, appreciate the passion for the landlords because they have a unique position and they really, really, uh, you know, have an obligation. So just like we do with restaurants, where restaurants have to make sure that their quality of service is up to par so that they don't poison people, so that they don't hurt people or harm people. The same thing we need to think about with our housing stock. And we know that an inordinate amount of housing in the city of Cleveland is rental housing and not a lot of home ownership. So we focused on where the problem is and we did what we needed to do to make sure we protected our children and stabilize our housing stock. Thank you. Marsha Egbert, uh, we mentioned that you serve not only here, but you serve with the governor's panel as well. A uh, question comes in wanting to know what success looks like. How long will it take to know that we've been successful? I, I'm so sorry, Rick. The second part of your question broke up. Okay. How long will it take for us to know that we are successful? What does success look like? 
Great. And if you don't mind, you know how when someone asks you a question, you always think of the best answer after they've moved on. So I do want to swing back yeah, around. Yeah. And this is this is cheating, but I did want to uh, swing back around to the question you asked from families needing resources that are currently you know, shouldering this problem. And I forgot an important one, and that is the state of Ohio and the county government here, Cuyahoga County, work together through a program called Help Me Grow. And that is an, a, an early intervention system. And what that means is that it helps provide services to children who are you know, suffering from a range of, of physical developmental challenges, including lead. And there was a very substantial amount of additional money made available in the state budget before that we want to keep in this version of the budget that's being debated in Columbus to also maintain and continue to grow those early intervention services. So any family in this community could call 1-800-755-GROW and the team of early intervention specialists will be at the other end of the line to help folks um, get children the services that, that their child needs. So what will success look like? Well, Kim talked about how you know, when we looked around the country, we saw in sort of a neighboring community, a, a kind of Cleveland-like community in Rochester, New York, that had put together a set of interventions that reduced the level of lead uh, poisoning by 85% over 10 years. So first of all, you need a goal. So that so we have a goal here, a, a similar goal here in Cleveland to reduce the amount of lead poisoning in our community by that amount over 10 years. So you, you can't know where you're going unless you have, a, unless you know what the goal is and we've got that. And then we obviously create um, interim steps along the way. So councilman talked about, we have a ramp up period. We knew we'd be successful if we had two anchor partners over the Lead Safe Resource Center and the Lead Safe Home Fund in place when the law kicked in, March of 2021, and we do. So that was a first big benchmark. Benchmark. We knew that there would be a sign of success if we could generate resources to help landlords do the right thing. As the councilman said, people want to do the right thing. They just sometimes need help to do it, to know what the problem is and to know how to fix it. And then when you know how to fix it, how are you going to pay for it? So we needed to set up both of these um, avenues to provide support on the front end. How do, I how do I pay for even finding out what's the problem? How do I then pay to fix the problem? We needed those resources. So those are kinds of interim benchmarks that we're setting along the way toward our goal of a reduction of 85 to 90% over 10 years. Kimberly, I know you would tell me that we count success when the number is zero and we have to disband this panel, but until then, what's success look like? Uh, for me, we are successful. We, people understand what it takes to make the homeless safe, right? And we communicate that and people understand the message and then can comply. Compliance, customer service is how we're stepping forward. And we want people to feel comfortable coming to us, right? Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Let's, <laughs> we're here to help you and serve you. And that's the message. So we want to make sure that we understand landlords are impacted as well as families and we're here to help you right and so when people really start to understand it and believe in that and believe that we can accomplish this goal that's that's how we'll become successful so we want to encourage folks to call and be a part participate and let us help you let us help you comply 
Mark, and I'll start with you, but I want others to weigh in as well. We had a question wanting you to address the fact that these testing requirements, they think, will raise tenant rent. And that's a big concern of people who are already on the edge. Yeah, so we're very, we've been very sensitive to that, both in terms of uh, that issue and that possibility, both in terms of the way the legislation uh, was adopted and also in terms of the kind of uh, resources that we're able to offer. Um, I would say bottom line uh, is that uh, for this first time around, right, for this first two-year cycle when landlords are required to make, uh, if you're pre-1978, make your units lead safe, um, if you need resources, uh, either grants or loans are, are available to you um, through CHN Housing Partners, uh, whom we've set up to uh, the capacity to do this and funded to do this, right? Um, those resources um, will not, uh, should not, and we don't expect will uh, result in any significant rent increases because of compliance with the law. Um, the, the important thing, though, is that in, in following up to that, is that landlords um, have an obligation um, to keep their property safe, right? And that's always been the case in one form or another, right? In this case, landlords have an obligation to keep their property safe from children being lead poisoned. Um, and if you use the resources that, uh, in, that Kim and her team at Environmental Health Watch can uh, educate you and teach you uh, in terms of how to, you know, make improvements, but, but then how to keep your properties uh, clean in a way that's lead safe, that is huge. And it costs next to nothing. So it's like, you know, once you get your property lead safe, how to keep it lead safe uh, over the next 10 years, costs next to nothing. And it's a matter of just landlords learning how to do it. Just like they, just like business people have learned how to, you know, comply with government regulations, you know, for centuries. This is really what's going on and why we've made sure the resources are there. Um, lastly, um, this possibility of rent increases that result in people being displaced is, will be tracked very closely uh, by our friends at the Public Center Case Western who are tracking all this data and will be reported out annually. So that if Councilman Griffin and uh, uh, I believe it's Councilman McCormick, who's now chair of that committee, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, Councilman. Um, yes. So if they need to look at adjustments to the legislation in order to deal with unintended consequences, they'll get that data once a year and can make those adjustments if that's what's needed. Uh, so we think we've built in a lot of safeguards there. That's where I was going to go, Councilman Griffin. Is there something we can do legislatively to protect people so those costs aren't just passed along? Well, first of all, I think Mark, you know, summed it up perfectly. You know, if I'm a property owner and it's my responsibility to maintain my property. So this thing about, you know, oh, this these testing requirements are going to make rent go up. I mean, you know, what if it was your child? What if it was, you know, your personal child? Um, you know, you're going to, oh, because I have to put a little bit extra work into my house uh, in order to make my house lead safe for my own personal child. And once again, most landlords that I've talked to, even the ones that scrutinize the bill, believe that, um, you know, they want to they want to do right by their by their tenants. They just have these questions. So I understand that. But here's the question that everybody needs to ask. What is the cost of inaction? What is the cost of not doing anything? 
Um, you know, what is going to be the damage to your property if you don't stabilize your property? Uh, so I don't see also the data that they can show me to show how they're going to start raising rents other than it would be just what they want to do. I don't see, um, you know, how they would just try to show me the data that they will actually raise rents, you know, because they have to do a test every two years. Um I just I think that is something that every landlord should have an obligation to do. And like I said, most landlords that I've talked to have already said that this is something that they, they believe is time has come. This question actually came in while you were answering that wants to know uh, why only five hundred dollars is available in grant money per unit for nonprofit companies with a max of eight units when there could be thousands of dollars needed to remediate. Uh, it says loans are not a good option for a lot of landlords. Why isn't there more grant money? <laughs> I defer to Mark and Marcia and let them. Yeah, I see I, to say so. I believe, uh, and Kim, help me out here. If I answer, if I understand the question correctly, we're talking about uh, five hundred dollars that's available for uh, the testing side, not not grants and loans that are available for assisting landlords in uh, in making improvements to the property that will make them lead safe. I'm, I, I'm not sure I understand the question exactly, but I think that's the answer. I can try to answer that. So so I think we need to put some context around what interim controls are and what it looks like and what it means, meaning painting um, your house. Actually, it's a code violation to have chipping and peeling paint, right? So I'm a responsible landlord. I've already painted my property. It's painted up. There's no risk there. There's no exposed soil. I've covered it with wood chips, right? So what we're doing is incentivizing landlords, especially those do-it-yourselfers, um, or you've already complied. Once you show us at the Resource Center the certification, we can give you up to $1,500. That means that three of your units can get a reimbursement. If you mm. already spent the money, you've already complied, we'll, we'll give you that. You could have spent less than $500, uh, but you'll still get that $500 reimbursement, right? If you don't want loans and grants, let's walk you through what interim controls are so you have a clear understanding what that is and what it looks like. Because I think some of the issue or the myth around what it takes to make a home less safe is not clear. And so we always talk about abatement and that's part of the issue versus what are engine controls? What makes a home less safe? And environmental clean does not cost a thousand dollars to clean a property. If you want to do it yourself, come here and get the proper training, which was already in place before this law. We are offering that for free. Um, and so you can learn what it takes, right, to create a less safe property for yourself. So then if you do hire a contract, you understand. So let's um, talk about feasible approaches. Let's talk about real cost and, and what it really takes, right? And start to sh shift that narrative around the true cost. But we know that you might have to spend a little extra money, but you should technically have your property already painted up and safe uh, for families to live in. Thank you. Marsha, I think it was you who addressed prevention earlier. A uh, question comes in, addressing prevention of lead poisoning is key to keeping children happy and thriving, healthy and thriving. Please comment whether any funding is earmarked for providing education to pregnant and new families about the risk of lead poisoning and how to prevent that. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, the Resource Center, you know, we've talked a lot about the um, the workforce component of it, the, the 
services that are there to help landlords and tenants understand what lead abate uh, lead free um, versus lead safe practices are. Um, but there's also a, just a tremendous community education resource through that center. And so, you know, if, if, if it's a, a, a woman who's pregnant, if it's a family um, that needs to understand or wants information about how I could keep my, myself safe during a pregnancy, how I can make sure my baby is born um, safe, there's resources there at the center around community education. So we, so we really want folks to call that, call that hotline, call the resource center and avail themselves of the free community education that's available. The resource center team also goes out into the community all the time. So if there's a place there's, you know, we're starting to emerge a little bit. If there are events, we can certainly um, have folks go out to communities, neighborhoods, gatherings, et cetera, and share that information. I would also refer folks again to the Help Me Grow um, hotline because while that exists to provide early intervention services, it also does a tremendous job of providing community education around how to have safe and healthy um, pregnancies. And then as the councilman said, this is tied to other issues. So we also have a very robust public-private partnership around infant mortality reduction called First Year Cleveland. And a, a huge component of that is working with pregnant moms or um, women who want to become pregnant and how to do that in a very safe and healthy way. So we can also provide the, the links to the first year community outreach. Thank you. Um, I have a couple more questions that came in. Um, Mark, I know that you touched on this earlier. Maybe the people joined us later. Questions coming in about lead pipes versus paint. People still concerned about lead getting into homes through the water. I know you addressed the fact that the city's pipes are good, but sometimes that connection from street to house. Uh, just folks want you to go back over that. Uh, <coughs> I'll, I'll say I'll that, say that uh, what folks what are folks to think about doing is getting water, water, you know, the water in their house tested, if that's what, uh, uh, if they have a real serious concern about that. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll punt to Kim, Kim uh, in part on this, but, um, uh, I know it, you know, we had uh, grandkids and, and, and hanging out in my house all the time. I know I don't look old enough to be a grandfather, but it's true. Um, and, uh, you know, and we, we did a very cheap uh, send away your water, get it tested, um, and know whether you got a problem or not. So that's the one thing I'll add. And uh, most our children are getting poisoned by the lead dust in their homes the paint, the dust, they're crawling around on the floor, hand and mouth activity. That's how our children are getting poisoned. So we need to target our resources there. But I do work with the Alliance for Great Lakes. Um, Crystal Davis works on policy um, infrastructure. I've been in conversations across the country about the issue to learn more about it. But we know we have to follow the data to really make the most impact and the best use of the resources. We know it's um, dust, we know it's the house, that's where we're focused, but we can have uh, conversations and we also partner with folks who really are in the weeds around pipes, infrastructure, and water quality. 
our time is short. We'll have to leave it there. I want to thank you all for joining us for today's forum on the efforts underway to build a lead safe Cleveland. We've been talking with Marcia Egbert, Program Director for Thriving Families and Social Justice at the George Gunn Foundation. Kim Foreman, who's Executive Director for Environmental Health Watch. Blaine Griffin of the City of Cleveland, Councilman for Ward 6. And Mark McDermott, Vice President, Market Leader at Enterprise Community Partners. All of our speakers are members of the Lead Safe Cleveland Coalition. Today's forum is part of our Health Equity Series, sponsored by the Sisters of Charity Health System and the St. Luke's Foundation. All City Club forums are presented for free every week, thanks to generous support from Bank of America, Key Bank, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, and PNC. You can join them in supporting City Club's mission by making a contribution online or becoming a member at cityclub.org. I'm Rick Jackson. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our forum is now adjourned. <laughs>